You're listening to the N2K Space Network. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Welcome to T-Minus Deep Space. I'm Maria Varmazis, host of the T-Minus Space Daily Podcast. Deep Space includes extended interviews and bonus content that takes a deeper look into some of the topics that we cover on our daily program. We hope you enjoy. In today's T-Minus Deep Space, executive producer Brandon Karp speaks with Namrata Goswami, strategic analyst and consultant with a focus on space policy. Namrata has an extensive resume covering international relations with a focus on India and China, as well as conflict resolution and space policy. She served for nearly a decade at India's Ministry of Defense-sponsored think tank, the Institute for Defense Studies and Analyses, and is co-author on a book called Scramble for the Skies, the great power competition to control the resources of outer space. Namrata walks us through recent developments in India's space policy, including India's decision to introduce its first official space policy that emphasizes the privatization of the entire space ecosystem, with a particular focus on the civil sector. Namrata and Brandon also discuss the implications of this shift, including the potential impact on India's military capabilities and its aspirations to increase its contribution to the global space economy. Now, if you tuned into yesterday's daily show, you heard part of this conversation. And now, here's the conversation in full with Namrata Goswami. If you look at the current state of India's space policy, just this year, India came up with an official space policy for the first time, actually, for India since it established a space program in 1969. So the current focus is to privatize the entire space ecosystem. So the space policy indicates that not only space, uh, you know, supply chain will be privatized, by which I mean satellite construction, components for satellite or rockets, but the entire launch vehicles like India's rockets, India's ability to launch to LEO will all get privatized. And India has established several institutions to support that particular commercialization. So does that uh, cover both civil as well as military capabilities? It covers more civil as of today. So if you look at the space policy, it focuses a lot on privatizing the civilian component, which is the Indian Space Research Organization component. Uh, If you think about the military space capability, which includes the Defense Research Development Organization, that will still remain a government-funded program, but... Importantly, last year, the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, put out a call, a 27 call. What I mean 27 is that 27 
list of items that was included, which included communications, navigation, construction of satellites, construction of intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance capability. And he actually called out for the commercial space sector to contribute to that particular defense capability. So I would say that in the next five years, you will also see growing privatization of building capability for India's military structure. It hasn't happened as yet. So why now? Why are we seeing these changes in the privatization happening today? I think India woke up to the privatization of space capability when it saw what happened in the U.S. ecosystem in 2015. So in 2015, December, Blue Origin and SpaceX launched reusable rockets, suborbital and orbital, and also the growing privatization since then, which was supported by U.S. space policy, which which included uh, commercial orbital transportation system, commercial crew, commercial cargo, public-private partnership. And what happened because of that was that the contribution to the space economy from the U.S. private sector was very, very high. So since 2015... The consequence of that is that India's space ecosystem started introspecting and arguing that India's contribution to the global space economy is about 1% at that time and including today. And the ambition is to scale it up to about 9% by 2030. And by 2030, the global economy will be $1 trillion. Today, it's about $400 billion. So the change happened since then, but actual institutional change that actually was brought about by the Indian government occurred around 2019 when they established the New Space India Limited. And this also means that the Indian private ecosystem is getting mature. There are companies that have started demonstrating capability, including launching suborbital rockets. And so the shift happened since 2019. And today, I think because there was a big push from the private space sector that for India to be able to thrive in the global space economy, it needs to privatize, it needs to create regulation that supports that kind of privatization. And more importantly, it needs to establish institutions within India that supports that particular change. So that's the context of why this change has uh, been brought about. It's been in the making for five years, and today you see an uh, end result of that with the Indian space policy. Got it. So it, it sounds a bit like global competition and economic development as two of the driving factors. Is is national security a consideration here as well? National security is a big consideration because if you look at the drivers for India's space program overall, one includes uh, economic development, two includes contribution to India's regional leadership, that by which I mean using space for diplomatic purposes. And the final driver is national security. And India woke up to that particular aspect in 2007 when China tested an anti-satellite weapon, by which China showcased to India that India's space capability can be destroyed if there is an escalation in conflict. And as you know, India-China has border disputes, territorial disputes. And so, yeah, national security is a big part. And since 2007, India has taken decisions to establish its military space capability, including testing an anti-satellite weapon in 2019. Interestingly, the space policy itself does not talk about the development of national security. It talks about the development of national development. And 
To understand that, you have to go beyond the Indian official space policy. You have to see that the Indian prime minister talked about the development of space power when India tested its anti-satellite weapon. And then last year, as I said, called out for the development of defense space capability. And then in 2019, India established a defense space agency very similar to the United States Space Force under the Indian Air Force. And so, yes, to answer your question, national security is playing a key contributing factor in India's development of space power. Since these recent developments, have we seen a reaction or a response from the other key players in the international order? I'm, I'm thinking, of course, you know, the U.S., China, the EU, even Japan. I think if you look at how, for example, the U.S., uh, let's take the U.S., European Union, and the and Japan. So India, U.S., Japan, and Australia are part of the quadrilateral security dialogue that has now included space collaboration and building of space capability. So you can see that this particular push for privatization is also going to help India in contributing to the regional level and the global level of space situational awareness, space domain awareness, as well as uh, launching. So, And from the U.S. side, you see that just recently, India and the U.S. had a very high-level space uh, dialogue in which the Indian Space Research Organization chairperson and the NASA administrator were present and both agreed again to collaborate in key technologies. One is space. And in space, concepts like quantum computing, India's contribution to lunar space development and space situational awareness were included. So you see that there is a response to that kind of privatization. And then finally, from Japan's side, just focus critically on Japan. Japan-India already has a deep space collaboration. India and Japan are going to the moon together, uh, I think in 2025, to the uh, south pole of the moon, with a resource prospector as well. And then uh, India-Japan are also key collaborators in terms of ensuring that the Indo-Pacific remains uh, free and open and space has been included. So there is already a response to the kind of change that India's space policy capability uh, has put forward and also demonstrating it, which is really important for partnerships. And uh, any any response from China? I think from the Chinese side, what is important is that China basically has... And so if you think about China's relation to India, it's really important to put it within the larger context of geopolitics, right? So China and India have collaborative relationships, has a very important economic uh, development partnership, uh, China and India has established uh, mechanisms to ensure that escalation of conflict doesn't occur. And this is important because China and India are both nuclear weapon states and share borders that are disputed. Now, when you look at China's reaction to the Indian capability, for example, to go to Mars, the first Asian nation to do so, India's development of an anti-satellite weapon capability, uh, India's development of intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, and the growing collaboration with the United States, the reaction is of concern and strategic concern because China now views India as part of a larger global countervailing alliance that uh, is themselves concerned with China's assertive behavior when it comes to territorial disputes or space. So there is concern about where India's space capability will be used and how that might be used to limit China's own desire for global leadership in space by 2049. So you see such concerns coming in. And also you see a push by China to indicate to India that 
a world where India maintains its strategic autonomy, does not get too close to a U.S.-led international or space order is perhaps to India's benefit. So there is signaling going on as well. So understanding that uh, India and Russia still have a fairly close trade relationship, is there any reflections on the new space policy and the impacts on the relationship between Russia and India, as well as the relationship between the U.S. and India on that front? I think when you look at the new space policy, the basic thrust of the new space policy is to clarify to India's own private sector that these are the institutions that are in place. For example, the New Space India Limited, the Indian Space Authorization Agency that gives out licenses. And then it also makes it very clear that the Indian Space Research Organization is not going to do manufacturing anymore, but is going to move on completely to research and development, which is itself an amazing development in this space ecosystem. Now, in terms of uh, signaling about any relationship with the U.S. You don't see that reflected in the part, in the space policy per se. But then you also see that India has made international collaboration a key factor in terms of what is the vision for India's space policy. So there are a few key visions. One is national development. One is development of India's own internal private sector. And three, India focuses on international partnerships to ensure that the development of space is for peaceful purposes. So in the larger conceptual framing, you can see that the space policy is in support of uh, development of relationship, for example, with the U.S. or Japan. And uh, it does not mention uh, China. uh, And so uh, I don't see that reflected. But in the final analysis, I'll say that if you think about one of the key developments in the space policy document itself, for the first time, India has made a position very clear about the utilization of space resources. So, you know, in international law, there is still a difference of opinion as to whether a country can mine resources, for example, on the moon and who owns it, right? So the Outer Space Treaty says that you can appro- cannot appropriate, you cannot uh, claim sovereignty, but does not stop utilization. So the Indian position is very clear now that if an Indian citizen or an Indian company is able to go and extract resources, for example, say, on the South Pole of the Moon, Indian space policy will support that particular company to keep those resources, own it, and profit from it. Now, this position is very similar with the U.S. Commercial Space Launch Competitive Act, Japan's space mining law, and and Luxembourg's space mining law as well. So you can see that India is signaling that it has similar perspective when it comes to space resources with the United States and Japan and Luxembourg, which means that collaboration in the future in this key strategic technology will become much more uh, feasible. We'll be right back after this quick break. Imagine a world where you're always one step ahead of cyber threats, where your defenses are impenetrable because you see what others don't. Welcome to Team Cymru's Threat Intelligence Solutions. With real-time access to the world's largest threat intelligence data ocean, they enable you to turn the tables on attackers. Transform your security from reactive to proactive through accelerated threat hunting and incident response, made possible through automation. Empower your team with visibility and insights to start defending your organization like never before. Team Cymru. Be the hunter, not the hunted. 
Learn more at team-cumry.com slash cyberwire. That's team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. That makes sense then. So sort of clarifying to the private sector that they will be backed up by the, uh, by the state itself when it comes to those technologies and potential future business models. Is that kind of the, the through line there? Yes, that's exactly the, uh, the trust of the space policy. So because there was critique that India's uh, space policy and regulations were not clear. And also what is critical, Brandon, is that the Indian space policy document enables private direct investment in space development and capability, which means it is signaling to, for example, hypothetically to the United States uh, investor community that India's space private sector is now open for foreign direct investment, which is, again, an amazing development because India, after all, has some of the most advanced space launch capability and can also do it very cost effectively, right? The manufacturing of a rocket in India is much cheaper than, say, in the United States. So there you see signaling again happening. Bringing it down to the tactical level then, how have we seen that changing um, or impacting these businesses? Do we see investors, foreign investors coming in, you know, um, uh, local investors building up their capabilities? Do we see businesses ramping up to take advantage of these new opportunities? Great question. So since 2019, India has been able to develop space startups. For example, you already have startups uh, developing technologies like propulsion, space-based solar power, wireless transmission of energy, building uh, apps supported by satellite support for helping farming and agriculture. And also India has now has a private company called Oxium India that is planning to build low-Earth orbit constellations to build satellite internet. So since the shift in 2019, and I I went to uh, do field work in India in 2017, where the biggest complaint of the new space startup companies was that because of a lack of clear demarcation of responsibility and institutions, the investment climate was slow. But now with clarification, with the Indian government uh, putting funding for developing their space startups, I see a scaling up. The official space policy came out last month, so it'll take us a little bit of time to see what impact it has in terms of foreign direct investment. But if I think about the other economies that India had opened up, for example, information technology, you see that the moment India took a decision to have foreign direct investment, the investment scaled up, right? So I would see a similar trajectory, but we'll have to give it uh, a year or two to see the impact of that. 
maybe we can revisit uh, in a year or two and kind of do a, a reassessment once the uh, the engines have fully revved and taken off. Yes, yes. I mean, there is this uh, this space policy will uh, energize the development of the commercial space sector. And what is interesting is that I think the push for enabling foreign direct investment also came from the private sector. And so the private sector wants to play a global role because it sees space as a global industry. And so I think I think we will only see scaling up in that regard. So then looking forward uh, towards that scaling, uh, are there are there any specific uh, sub-segments of the industry or technologies or businesses that you're particularly excited about that you think will really accelerate in the near future? I think one that I am excited about is the focus of the Indian uh, space development, not just the space policy, but those policies that was put out, say, in 2017, 2016, in the websites of the Indian state-funded institution, one technology is reusable capability, right? And so I'm excited about that because India has successfully tested, you know, uh, geosynchronous orbit capability. India has a heavy lift rocket. And now the, with the focus and the scaling up of reusable capability, I'm excited about that because that capability will, if developed, bring down the cost of launch even more than, say, uh, U.S. manufactured capability and also enable a lot of us to actually contribute to the space sector. I'm So I'm excited about that. The second technology that I'm excited about that some of the Indian space startups are focusing on, for example, a startup called Rebeam, which is on wireless transmission of technology. So one of the technologies that the former head of India's of India, President Abdul Kalam, who is no more now, he pushed for the development of a concept called space-based solar power, which is the ability to collect solar energy in space and transmit it back to Earth. And because it's 24 hours, it's reusable technology that is very advantageous. China has a national program on it. And now you see that Indian commercial sector is looking at the not the building of the satellite itself, but actually how do you transmit that technology through microwave, right? And so that is a technology I'm excited about because if you can scale it up, that's going to contribute to the global push for the development of space-based solar power. The United Kingdom just announced a program on space-based solar power. The European Space Agency has come up with space-based solar power feasibility study. In the US, you have Air Force Research Laboratory that has an experiment on space-based solar power called SPIDER. So if an Indian ecosystem can support the development of the transmission capability, that will contribute to the development of the technology. And I'm, and I'm excited about the technology because that will mean a 9 billion of us by 2050 will have access to clean and renewable, re, renewable energy with a developed world lifestyle. And truly a global technology that is uh, developed globally across a number of different countries and capabilities. That's, uh, that's a, a fascinating technology area. It is, it is. And with global collab, and we need global collaboration because as I see this technology uh, moving forward, uh, I was recently in Australia. There is an interest in Australia as well to support uh, space-based solar power. Uh, the United Arab Emirates is showing interest. Saudi Arabia just signed an agreement with the United Kingdom. So you see that technology like that will require global collaboration and India contributing to it with its own private sector will mean that we will have a technology that is globally developed with uh, you know, global uh, positive benefits, which is what is the hope for space, right? 
And so, right, so right. yeah. Space for all. Yeah, I think the one thing that I, in, in terms of a critique of India's space policy, I would say that while you have a space policy that clarifies the institutions of where the private sector needs to go, where do you get licensing, similar to the U.S. process of where do you go for licensing, how do you deal with export control, I think what was missing in the Indian space policy document was that why was India investing in this kind of capability beyond just uh, national development, which was not clarified. So was India going to have a lunar mission? Was India going to announce a resource prospecting mission, for example, to the lunar South Pole? Was India going to develop a national security architecture that is going to collaborate, for example, with the United States. So those kind of vision statements the space policy document should come up with was not clarified and clear. And I think that still leaves room for ambiguity and interpretations, right? And so I think that's what I would like to end with, that space policy document that India might put out, say, next year should be much more clearer as to why is India developing the space capabilities at all? What are the long-term missions that India is actually focusing on that supports this kind of upscaling of commercial development of space. If you had your say, what is the why? Why should they be developing these? And, and what, what are the programs that they should be focused on? I think when I look at how the world is evolving, so uh, I would say that, first of all, the Indian space policy document should very clearly state that this is about space development and utilization. That's where Japan is going. That's where the U.S. is signaling it's going. That's where other countries are going. So one, that space is about economic development and not just the traditional goals of satellite launch and uh, low Earth orbit communication, navigation capability. So one, very clearly state that this is about the development of space, that space is an economic realm. The second important mission that India doesn't seem to have announced uh, in, at a national level is the development of, say, space-based solar power, right? So while a commercial company is developing a microwave transmission capability, India does not have a national-level program on space-based solar power and very surprisingly missing from a country where uh, renewable energy and any kind of renewable energy is going to be extremely crucial. India has the largest population in the world today. And we'll have the largest number of families and households to feed by 2050. So I'm surprised it does not have. So that's a program that India needs to develop. And then finally, I think when India talks about, for example, developing a lunar capability and uh, scaling it up to go to uh, study asteroids and Mars, why? Why is India wanting to go there? So I would say that if I think about some of the conversations I hear, for example, in Japan or in the U.S., it's a lot about lunar resources like helium-3, uh, water ice, which can be developed into oxygen, and building the moon itself as a pit stop to go to deep space. So while Indian uh, space scientists have talked about uh, helium-3 as a key fuel for nuclear propulsion, and India is a nuclear power, you know that, right? And so India already has a nuclear program by which I mean a civilian nuclear program and a military nuclear program. And India is uh, collaborating with the United States in civil nuclear uh, capabilities since George W. Bush signed the nuclear deal in 2005. So a program that looks at the moon from not just going there and showcasing technology, but for long-term sustained permanent development of lunar resources is a program I think India should 
focus on. And by that, I mean that I have seen that what China has done is very interesting. It has pointed out that its investment in space-based solar power, investment in lunar resources, investment in asteroid exploration is interestingly building Indians, uh, sorry, Chinese skill sets and Chinese scientific temper and uh, education that supports that kind of upscaling. And so India lacks that. And I think India needs to have a have a focus on space resources. It doesn't have it today. Sure. Well, so India's space policy, creating economic opportunity and global collaboration, um, sounds like it's moving in the right direction. It is. I'm very happy that India came up with an official space policy because that was one of the biggest critique for India, that India does not come up with clear identification of why is it at all wanting privatization, uh, what are the institutional mechanisms? And as you know, uh, India does not have IATAR, the International Traffic on Arms Regulation, but it does have export control issues when it comes to high-end technology. So clarifying that, enabling foreign direct investment is a great step forward. Now we need to have that vision statement. But you know you have to start somewhere. So I'm happy that India put out a space policy. Yeah. Well, Namrata Goswami, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you for having me. And that's it for T-Minus Deep Space for Saturday, May 20th, 2023. And we'd love to know what you think of our show. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit a survey in our show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in this rapidly changing space industry. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>